you want to keep your uh, Bibles open, or your, we're gonna we're gonna kind of walk through this passage together for the next few minutes. Um, you pray with me before we get into this. Heavenly Father, the uh, this passage remind us a little bit about who you are. That this world may indeed fade, but you will remain. Before the foundations of the world, you were present. You were hovering over the depths. You were hovering over this world. And you intentionally began to form it and shape it so that life could flourish. And whatever happens, you will still remain. Your word will remain. Your church will remain. Help us in this uncertain moment, in these uncertain times, in these moments in which that we are fluctuating between fear and, and, and anxiety and, and, and maybe even depression. Like, help us find sure ground in the understanding, knowing that you will remain. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts right now be acceptable in your sight who is indeed our rock and redeemer it's in Christ's name we pray amen friends if it's your first time here welcome my name is Ryan and I'm the pastor of this wonderful church and we enjoy meeting in a wind tunnel so when the air conditioning comes on it's going to be really loud but uh, that's all right um, we we look forward to the fall and the winter because we won't have to turn that on all the time We've been looking at, the uh, last couple of weeks, we finished up a series in which we were looking at the parables. And one of the reasons that we wanted to look at the parables is we just want to just kind of gaze at Jesus. We wanted to look at him and say, what are you trying to teach us? What are you trying to say? What, uh, who are you? And that ended about a couple of weeks ago, but what I felt like was, was good, we the parables, we also just now kind of transitioned into interactions people have had with Jesus. And this is one of the most, well, it's not there, but this is one of the most probably well-known, one of the most well-known interactions that Jesus has had with, Jesus has with people. And there's a lot of things that come of this, but we're going to just talk with, for, uh, over a few things. But let, before we get into it, let me ask you this. What is your greatest need in life? What is your greatest need in life? Your greatest need. Some of you think pragmatically, you'd think, well, food and shelter, I, mean, I need that. Others might think, well, I... I I need knowledge because knowledge is power and that'll, that'll help. I need that. Others might think, well, community is one of the most important things. I got to have that. Well, let's just, all that. I just want to be comfortable. No matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, I just want to be comfortable. Or maybe my greatest need is no matter what I have or whatever I gained or whatever accolades I made, if I don't have health, then I don't have anything. So health by far is one of the greatest needs. I, I want to be noticed. I, I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be at peace. I just want to be content and at peace. What's your greatest need? 
The passage that Lindsay just finished up reading, there's a group of people there and they all need something. It says, on, on one of those days, Jesus was teaching. At first, it seems pretty simple. Jesus is teaching at a group of people to a group of people. That sounds, okay, Jesus teaching. Normal. Jesus is teaching. Then the story becomes a little bit more complex and a little bit more multi-layered because now the story begins to fill itself out. And it says, and now the story, there were, there were teachers of the law from every village there. Hmm. From every city, from every village, teachers of the law came to hear Jesus. Did they come to listen, to learn? No. They came because they wanted to cast dispersions at him. They wanted, they wanted to remove him from this place of influence that, they, that he was gaining. They, they were there to argue against. They were there to fight against. And so now the story begins to get a little bit more layered. Those aren't pleasant people. And then it says, then the power of the Lord was, the power of healing was on Jesus. So now there's this group of people that are there because they want to get to Jesus to be healed. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 4, we see that there was a group of people being, Jesus was healing so many people that large, massive crowds of desperate people were doing everything they could to get to Jesus. It's beginning to become more complex because we know throughout the Gospels that there are people that are deaf and they're blind, they're possessed by demons, which can mean multiple things, not just demon possession, because they didn't have categories for schizophrenic or you know, things like this. There was lepers, and there was a man like uh, this paralytic. So there's all kinds of people coming to, to meet Jesus. So this is, you can imagine that this is not a docile sort of crowd. This is a group of people that have a deep need that they feel that they, they, it can be met somehow, some way by Jesus. I, I, I can imagine that it probably wasn't a very civil crowd. It probably wasn't, uh, you know, everybody kind of waiting their turn. The other day I took my son, uh, Isaac, to his last checkup to get... Um, to get a, uh, a, a, an x-ray to make sure that his arm was okay. And we walked in and everybody was in masks and social distancing and everybody was civil and everybody was kind and it was sort of quiet. And we went to, we almost instinctively knew what to do. So we got, we got tested and, uh, with our temperature and we signed the paperwork and we went and sat quietly in the corner. Everyone there had a need. Everyone there was desperate to get to their doctor but it was a civil crowd. It, it, we all knew that at some point Van Horn was going to be called and we were going to go back and get what we needed. But that was not this crowd. There wasn't a hospital for them to go to. There wasn't a place for them to find. There wasn't no civility there. These are desperate people seeking to get to Jesus no matter what. It's probably loud. It's probably messy. It probably smells. The house is filled with hundreds of people and then hundreds more on the outside of it. All there for a need. 
The teachers of the law were afraid and they were terrified that they were going to somehow lose some sort of influence that they had and because Jesus was taking it and people were following them. So, the, so they were angry and they were upset. And there's this other group of folks that are kind of there because Jesus is teaching about who he is. So they want to learn about him and they want to hear who he is. And there's this other massive group of people that are just coming with, they're blind and they're deaf and they're lame and they're possessed and they're taking their friends and family and people to Jesus so they can find and get what they need. This crowd is not mundane. They're, they're not a well-mannered, patient crowd. This place is a total wreck. And then these friends show up and they, they kind of evaluate the landscape and what's happening and they can't get in. So they have to come up with this creative, curious way to get their friend to Jesus. Because the crowd is too thick. People are too angry. Everybody wants to get in. So somehow, think about this. They maneuvered onto a roof, tore the roof off, and lowered him. That's desperate. Now you might think like, Ryan, this is just a story. He's kind of told in a vacuum. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, right? No, this is historical. This happened. These men tore the roof off to get their friend to Jesus. And Jesus does this absolutely curious thing. They lower him down. I can imagine there's people all around and then all of a sudden maybe the crowd sort of begins to just be like, what is happening? Is that an earthquake? What is, what's going on? And then they see this, this cot begin to be lowered and so probably the crowd kind of goes quiet. They're like, what is happening here? And Jesus, he lowers them and he looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven you? That's a weird thing to say. Because everybody knows why he's there. He can't walk. He's just been, the roof has just been ripped off to lower to get him in front. Of, it's obvious he can't walk. He needs to be healed. But Jesus looks at him and says, no, 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 no. Your, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're like me, curious, thoughtful, you're going, well, why did Jesus say this? Because it's obvious his greatest need is not his for sin. His greatest need is that he can't move, he can't walk. That's a curious thing to say, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He also looks at him and says, now rise up and walk. Take your bed and go. So we have these two sort of elements, right? We have this idea of something that we would categorize probably as spiritual, right? Your sins being forgiven. And then, and then we would categorize something like maybe physical need. So we got a spiritual need and a physical need. And Jesus sort of addresses them both in that moment. And it's curious because over time and over history, the church has tried to separate them. The church has said, well, obviously the most important thing is the forgiveness of sins, the spiritual. So we're going to focus all of our attention on the spiritual and we're going to sort of separate ourselves from, from the physical things that are sort of icky and messed up. There's whole movements of people that, that in, in, in religious circles and theology that, you know, don't think about your physical body. It's, 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 it's against you. It's the flesh. Don't touch it. All spiritual. There's other groups of people, and then they focus, and they say, well, obviously the most important thing is that Jesus was healed him. So 
all of their budget and all of their programs and all of their buildings is to, is to focus on what they can see, the needs that they, people have, the needs that they have, that's physical, it's tangible, it's there, and they put all of that there. But the church is over, historically have done something that we should never separate. We should, we should never separate these things. One, because the actual death is a separation of that. Death is a separation of my soul, spirit, and body. And then resurrection and life again, flourishing, is a bringing back together. But, I mean, that's, that's one reason why we don't separate these two things. But the other is Jesus doesn't either. He doesn't say, okay, rise up and walk, go. You're going to be great. It's going to be fine now. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now rise up and walk. I learned this interesting word that you can maybe share in a conversation. People think you're smart. It's called a psychosomatic whole, which means that's who we are. You can't separate yourself, your mind, your feelings, your emotions, your, 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 your spiritual sort of life. You can't separate. They're all connected. They're all multi-layered. And so that means what, when you go back to it, then if that's the case, nothing is separate. What is our greatest need then? And see, I think Jesus here addresses it. That our greatest need, what drives us to the feet of Jesus, the thing that affects every single one of us, is sin. It's sin. This guy was sick, but he looked at him and said, I know that you're sick. I know that you're sick. I know that you can't walk. I know that you don't feel well. But, but there's something greater there that I need to address. It's sin. Sin is not just physical, friends. It is not just simply spiritual. It runs so deep in our lives. It touches everything. It's a, it's a, it has 10,000 faces and no face. And we all want to have, we all kind of have this quiet agreement uh, that we're not going to talk about it because it makes us feel all uncomfortable and because it feels like it, we, it, it exposes. I, I appreciated so much Sherry's honesty coming to confession because when we confess that we're broken and there's something messed up and our own lives are messy, like there's something vulnerable about that. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to look at it. We don't like to admit that it is permeated and touched and has, has gotten into our bones the way that it's affected us. It's complicated. It's, it's not just in here. It's, it's, it's our culture. It's our, it's our world. It's, it's our social situations. It's, it's in our personal lives. It's deep. It's complicated. It's dark. It's layered. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's, it's emotional, it's, it's, it's all of it. It's all wrapped up. And this is one Jesus came to address. Not just for the man that was lowered, but for everybody that was there. And because people thought like, man... Usually what was happening in that moment, and we actually, we think about this to ourselves at times, is that when somebody's sick like that or somebody, something's happened to them that is awful, we think, what did they do to deserve that, right? In John chapter 9, there's a man that was, came, that was born 
blind. And everybody around him said, what, what, did, what did he do wrong? What did he do wrong to be born blind? And Jesus immediately, and all through the gospel, says, no, 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 no. Don't think of it that way. No, no. Sin touches all of us in weird ways. Sometimes it doesn't have anything to, to do with what we've done. It just happens that it touches all of us. It's deep, it's complex, it's different. Sin is what makes our bodies fragile. It is what makes us distrust everybody. It's what makes us, when somebody says a promise, and I'm going to be there, I'm going to do that, and you go, we'll see, we'll see. But until that, I'm going to keep you here. It's what makes us worry about relationships. It's what makes us anxious. It's what makes us fearful. It, 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 there's, there's no way to, to, to just distill it down to maybe sin is things that we do or shouldn't do. It's so much greater. Sin makes us say things like, well, the reason that this is happening to them or because they, this thing is a, it's because they're poor. Or it's because they're uneducated. Or it's because they're a Republican or they're a Democrat. It's the reason that this is happening is because they, they haven't taken advantage of all the things in this world that is there. That's the reason that they're doing these sorts of things. And it, it, it's maybe a part of that, absolutely, but it's so much deeper. It's so much greater than that. It's what allows us to say things like, I don't even believe there's a God. Matter of fact, I'm going, to do, I'm going to live my life as of God unto myself. I'm going to do what I want, when I want. I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm just, that's, sin runs that deep. And none of us really like to talk about it. None of us really like to look at it. We can't think about sin any longer, friends. If, listen, I'm speaking to you if you believe, if you're a Christian and you're following Jesus, if you're skeptical, you don't believe Jesus, speaks anymore, or don't know if he speaks to you, welcome, we're glad you're here. But for those of you that do, listen, listen, we can't think about sin anymore as about something individual that we do or don't do. It's so much deeper. It's so much deeper. It's not the extent of our need of just like somehow I can wake up and I can confess and I can, there's, there, our need, our need is so much greater. And Jesus addresses it. And I think it's important sometimes to look at the way that it affects us because then if we really sort of stare at it, we will begin to understand is maybe this is something only God can fix. Maybe another relationship that I think I might need, that's not going to fix it. Maybe, maybe if I, you know, the job that I long for, that's not going to fix this, this that's happening. Maybe if I just can position myself to get, you know, this place of comfort that I've always longed for or position myself in, up, up in the corporate world in, 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 in a place where, no, I can't be touched. None of that is going to address what absolutely needs to be fixed. Only Jesus can. What's so beautiful is Jesus does. He looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Wise up and walk. 
he addresses the need, the deep need that affected him but affects all of us. But sometimes it's hard to get, it feels like it's hard to get to Jesus, right? People get in the way, circumstances and situations and things get in the way. It was hard for these guys to get them down to Jesus. They had to rip off of a roof. They had to lower him down. It was risky. It was difficult. They could have fell through and hurt themselves. All of these things that feel sometimes like we're, we're being, we're being uh, 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 kind of, it's hard to get to Jesus. It's, it's hard at least to have that need met that we long for. How, how do you think people come to Jesus? How? How, how is it that when I talk about people coming to church what I, or, or getting them into this church or getting them into church, what I'm talking about is getting them to Jesus, which our needs are, will be met. But that's difficult to do, right? That's difficult to get people to say, oh, yeah, I actually need that, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to find it. It's, it's hard. But what we see out of these, these men is, some, is, 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 a, is a courageous move. It's a thoughtful, sort of inventive way to get people, to get him to Jesus. How are you and I being creative? How are you and I taking the call that we all have as Christians, which is to get people there to Jesus? How are we doing that? Well, maybe, maybe Ryan is through our community groups that are going to be, that have been going and we'll start back up. Maybe it's through men's fellowship. Maybe, maybe it's through the women's thing. Maybe it's through some of these things that we do out in the community. Like, We'll, we'll, never, we'll never respond to the call that we have as Christians to be literally the bridge for people to Jesus if we don't see that the need that we have and the need that everyone else has is to get to Jesus. That's our biggest need. The biggest need that you and I have, that any human being on this earth has, is friendship, relationship with Christ. That's it. It's not community is a need. It's not purpose. That's a need. It's, it's not a, a sense of, a, a, of, of belonging. That's a need. All those things are found in Jesus. All of them. If you made a list right now of five things that are the absolute most important thing to you, if you made a list, what would they be? And maybe the sense of contentment that you have, if three of them, all sort of uh, psychologists and sociologists say that if we have five things that we need, if we have three of them, we can feel a sense of contentment. What would they be? Well, I, I, I have a deep, good relationship with my family and friends, so I don't need money. Or, or I'm, I, I, I have some sort of fame and recognition, so hopefully this depression will go away. What would that thing be that you feel like you need? Well, this passage tells all of us that we only have one need. Jesus. Jesus. 
His love, His favor, His power, His presence, the presence and the friendship of God that is found in Christ. That is all that we need. Do you need community? Absolutely. Do you need to belong? Yes. Do we need purpose? Yes. But all those things can be found in Jesus. My sons, I'm closing up right here. My sons receive a lot of hand-me-downs. Um, the Joaquins have helped with that. Thank you, by the way. They receive a lot of hand-me-downs. And it's funny because like on the back of the tag sometimes, it's written name, you know, the name of the kid. It's on there. I feel like church and life is a little bit like that. What do I mean? Have you ever felt like this deep connection, maybe, or this deep love when you were at a community group or a bridge group and you had this connection with somebody and it felt really good and it's like, that's amazing? Well, if you turn that tag over, it says Jesus. It's Him. Have you ever come to this table and felt a sense of purpose and felt like, I, man, this makes, this makes a lot of sense. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm loved and I belong and this is wonderful. Well, if you turn that tag, it's Jesus. Have you ever felt the presence of God when we were singing and that something, something happened and hit your heart in a way that you, and then you looked at it and you felt this like warmth and you smiled maybe and you lifted your hands. That, if you turn the tag over, Jesus. All the beautiful things in our lives that we experience, that we tangibly see, the things that are good, that bring flourishing, that the things that we all long for, if you flip that tab, there's only one name. It's only one name. And the curious thing is that the way that we experience Jesus, the way that we meet with Jesus, the way that we have our needs met in relationship and friendship with Jesus is by friendship and love with each other. I don't know if we know that yet. Like, the paralytic man couldn't get there. If the friends weren't willing to take him there, he wouldn't have been healed. He wouldn't have. We, we are all connected in this way that I can see Jesus in you. You can see Jesus in me. We can experience Jesus who he is together. We need each other. Matter of fact, I can't learn about who Christ is if he's placed you in my life and I don't know you and I'm not sharing life with you. I can't know him. And if my greatest need is to know Jesus, oh, I need to know you. <laughs> What's your greatest need? Jesus answers it. How are we doing that? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your word, in this passage, we see clearly your heart.